Hello, Retro Encounter listener. This is Mike Solosi, and I'm here with a small correction. In this episode, I state it's number 112 near the beginning, but thanks to scheduling issues, it's actually episode 113. That's all. Please enjoy this week's Retro Encounter. Welcome to episode 112 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fan's weekly podcast, unattached to current events, no slave to fashion. I am Mike Solosi, I am Monsoon on the boards, and I am your regular Retro Encounter host, and with me today is the resplendent Rob Fenner. I, Robert, will lift you all up. Hello. Oh, that's so positive and optimistic. (laughs) That's wonderful. If you haven't gathered already from the title of this damn episode, we're here to talk about Final Fantasy Uno, the very first game from 1987 that started the mega RPG empire of Final Fantasy. We have been talking about Final Fantasy for about a month straight on this podcast. We have three episodes preceding preceding this one about different parts of Final Fantasy. The Final Fantasy IX episode hosted by Alana, the storytelling memorial epi- uh, memoria, excuse me, episode from last week, and two weeks ago talking about three Final Fantasy movies. But today we're going to talk about the game that started it all, Final Fantasy One. I. I played it off and on the past month, the uh, um, PSP remake of it. And I played it, and I played it on my ancient red and black God of War uh, PSP that I got many years ago, and whose oh, paint was peeling, whose paint was peeling off in my fingers as I sweated on it. <laughs> <laughs> that thing is probably I probably need to get a new PSP if I want to play any of those old UMDs ever again. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to do that too. Um, yeah, the, the it's fact my... that I can't play my games of UMDs really bums me out. Yeah, it's my second PSP. Even I remember my first one dying on me, so I uh, I got the God of War one that came with um, I believe Ghost of Sparta around because uh, mm-hmm. that was a game I was interested in. Um, being a God of War fan ten years ago, uh, but that my second one seems to be dying out on me. So I need I need to look around and see how cheap PSPs are nowadays. I don't think they were very well made. I'm on my second one as well, and it stopped working maybe four years after I... I mean, well, it works, but, like, the the O button doesn't work, and the analog stick stopped working I think my after, but- like, four years. I think my buttons are all fine on this one, and I've had this and I've had this one several years, although I have barely played it in the past, I don't know, five. But mm. the paint's coming off. It did crash on launch a couple times. I was able to finish Final Fantasy one over a period of a few weeks. I'm uh, I'm very envious of that. I was well on my way to finishing it, and uh, then for reasons I don't want to get into, I ended up losing my Vita, which was very very heartbreaking. Um, I managed to get um, I managed to to get a used one uh, to replace okay. it at a decent price. Um, it's not as in nice condition as mine was, and I've lost all of those saves. That but sucks. Onward, onward and upward. Um, but I I. Um, yeah, I was just about to get my new classes. It was like, yeah, I'm, I'm building up. I'm going to see those sprites change. And then, like, it was the biggest anticlimax. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I did this with a, with a guide this time because I wanted to, uh, I wanted to play it to get through it in a hurry so I could work on a, I could start up Breath of Fire 4 for a different podcast. You'll hear about that at the end of the episode. Uh-huh. But um, when I, 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 so I did use a guide for parts of it, and I was a little surprised at how early you can get that class change. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, like, like, like I, the I, strategy for the level eleven class change, it's right? Like, what? I, 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 yeah, I, I saw that, and I, I don't think I got the class change until level sixteen or seventeen because I, I, you know, I didn't run through dungeons as efficiently as I could have, I guess. But I always yeah. thought of the class change being between the second and third dungeons, but no, mm-hmm. you can get it between the first and second if you're clever. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, so, so I did that, and it made the last part of the game much easier and i have never seen a uh, a knight with that much mp before in any of my playthroughs of ff1 <laughs> because because knights and ninjas don't uh, start gaining mp until you uh, until you class change them yeah. but uh yeah it was it was a it was a fun romp that i and because F- final fantasy is so mostly devoid of real narrative i was able to play it you know while i had pro wrestling or japanese superheroes on the tv while sitting mm-hmm. on the recliner, which is how I played all of this run, but uh, it was it was pretty enjoyable. So, uh, um, Rob, before we start getting into the nitty gritty of the game, uh, 
brief history of playing this game uh, from you personally, then I'll follow. I, I was going to ask you the same thing. Oh, uh, as, uh, great as minds, you, something, something. As, as you wrote the uh, Memoria uh, piece on this game, and you were the I only, did, yes. only person who did, uh, much like I was the only person who did it for Final Fantasy II, um, I think you and I have uh, quite a similar origin story, from what I understand. Uh, but um, I'll tell you about mine, and then we'll move on to yours. Um, I I got to admit, I don't have a whole lot of nostalgia for this game. I think the first time I played it was maybe 1995. Um, I got an NES in 1995 because they were really, really cheap. They were like $30 new, and this rental place by my house, um, well, not by my house, but this rental place in my town, Video Library over in Olathe, um, they were having this deal in 1995 where they were they were basically phasing out their NES rentals. So it was like, mm. hey, um, we nobody wants these, and um, you know we still want to make a little bit of money on them. So it's like spend like one dollar and you can rent six NES games for a week. Oh, that, that so, deal's great. Yeah, so I <laughs> rented something like twelve games at a time, um, <laughs> and you know, like I. I'd already been very, very well acquainted with um, Final Fantasy VI uh, and probably Chrono Trigger at this time, uh, but I, you know, I'd only ever played NES games in a friend's house, and and RPGs were not really what preteens wanted to play in the Midwest um, growing up. So I wanted to see what the first Final Fantasy was about, and so I got that and like the Dragon, the Dragon Warrior games, as they were called back in the day, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it's. You know, going from Final Fantasy VI to Final Fantasy One, that's quite a leap. Um and it's 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 a very off putting game, especially to play with like all the modern conveniences of sixteen bit Final Fantasy and onwards. It was one of those games where like wizardry, if you're striking at as before you can attack, you're just striking thin air. And that's right. just um that's just annoying and terrible. And like the remakes fix this but there's no getting over the fact that it is a 1987 JRPG with all of the, um, you know, minimal compelling story and grindy mechanics that such a thing brings. Yeah, so it's, it, it's awfully hard to go back to the NES one. I uh, hmm. entertained the idea of playing the original one, perhaps on a, a virtual console or something for this podcast. But then, yeah, ultimately said, you know, I already have the remake on PSP. So, I've got a real soft spot for the um, for the eight bit music arrangements, but um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, actually playing it would just be kind of a nightmare. Yeah, the, I, I was just worried about how long that would take me, and I didn't have it on a. I wouldn't be able to do it on a handheld that way. So, yeah. I but I do have the Game Boy Advance Dawn of Souls version and the PSP Solo UMD. So I uh, mm-hmm. and I eventually picked PSP. I guess for the bigger screen, that <laughs> was the only real reason. Uh, yeah, because I do have a functional GBA still. Running it back a little bit, uh, there is an ongoing feature going on with the main RPG fan website that we've alluded to already, and one of the sort of sub features within the larger Final Fantasy anniversary feature is called Memoria. Uh, Mike Salvato is sort of the architect of it, but basically, it's it runs through the entire Final Fa- Final Fantasy series, um, and showcases personal stories from RPG fan staff about each game. Like, uh, the, the very first day of it, a couple weeks ago, I think, was my, uh, me writing a small piece on FF1 and you writing a small piece on FF2. And mm-hmm. uh, and I think those happened because no one else signed up for FF1 or 2. <laughs> nobody wanted to revisit <laughs> nobody, them. Yeah, nobody That's wanted why. to revisit them. So, but, so I think independently, That's you and I... That's why we're the only here today. <laughs> yeah, you and I independently went back uh, went back and said, okay, all right, I'll, I'll write on this one. Uh, and and you were right in saying earlier that my FF1 origin story is similar to yours. Uh, my The first RPG I ever played was Final Fantasy IV, but at the time I thought it was called Final Fantasy II. And that was at a friend's house and in, I think, 93 or 94. Um, so I would have been 7 or 8. And uh, and I'm like, well, this is amazing. This kind of I've never played a game like this before. I mean, I've played Mario and Zelda and Mega Man and a bunch of games on my NES, but this is, this is something totally new to me. And uh, so I went to my local Errol's, which was my rental in Springfield, Virginia, where, my, uh, where all of those Mega Man, Mega Man games are rented. And uh, was they did have a copy of Final Fantasy One, but that was in the time where they were uh, the NES games in the store were sort of in a rent or buy kind of situation because mm. they were trying to clear their inventory and 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 get people playing Super Nintendo and Genesis stuff. 
and so uh, I I believe I bought Final Fantasy One straight up from there. Right on. And it, it wasn't very expensive. I uh, e- even though I I had a did not have much allowance, I was able to afford it somehow. I don't I don't remember how much it cost. Well, I remember Nintendo Power were giving it away um, yeah. for a while, just so it was, so desperate to try and move it. I don't think it was one of the expensive games they were selling on the NES. Because I I want to say I. I when I started buying games from Errols, I really wanted, I want to say Mega Man 3. That cost like twice as much as Mega Man 2 or 4. Ooh. So I didn't, I didn't understand what was going on. But So my Errols buying was a, a weird time of my very early game playing career. But anyway, so I bought Final Fantasy 1 sight unseen, thinking it was going to be like Final Fantasy 2, which is actually 4. And I was in for a little bit of a shock because it's quite different. Like, um, not just the visual changes and the convenience changes and gameplay changes. Uh, I mean, there it doesn't have very many named characters. Mm, indeed. And, and I was expecting... I, I don't know if I was expecting exactly to see a younger version of Cecil and Kane or something. Uh, <laughs> but it was completely different from my expectations, whatever they were. And, and you can, uh, if you want to, you know see my meditation on that, you can uh, read it in the Memoria feature in the features section of the RPG Fan website. But let's talk about the very beginning of the game, because before you hear, you see a word of story, you choose four character classes. Mm-hmm. And I've never played an Ultima or a Wizardry game before, but isn't it roughly similar to that? You Don't you choose a sort of D&D-style class at the beginning? Um, in Ultima... I want to say that you're solo in Ultima at first, and then like, I think depending on the Ultima game that you're playing, you uh, uh, accrue a party. Like in a, in a lot of the Ultima games, uh, from four onwards, they begin a little bit like the early Shin Megami Tensei games, where they make you okay. like take an alignment test. Um, or uh, no, am I? Is that right? No, that doesn't happen in Shin Megami Tensei. What am I saying? Um, I, a, a personality <laughs> test like Dragon Warrior Three. Dragon yeah, like Plus Dragon 3. Warrior Three or, or Dare Lang Risser. Yeah. Uh, I got confused about the, like, the law and chaos heroes. What am I thinking? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that, that's absolutely correct. Um, but I'm pretty sure in like the early Ultima games, you just are kind of kind of dropped into it. Um, it's been such a long time since I played those. But yeah, it's very much yeah, it is very much a, a um, borrowed from from Wizardry, the party creation, or like the D and D Gold Box games, mm. um, which was reused by uh, Kawazu um, quite. Um, wholeheartedly in his um, Final Fantasy Legend games, which were the Saga series on Game Boy. I but, have yeah, many I fond know. memories of uh, Final Fantasy Legend 2 and 3. I mean, maybe, uh, we've, maybe you and I have talked about this off-podcast before, but... Um, yeah, I, did, I, mean, I did not love 3, but uh, 1 and 2 were my jam. 1 was the first RPG that I ever owned. 2 is really good, and I still have uh, pretty Two's fond memories of, uh, of like Mr. S and Dad... And, yeah. uh, and Odin and Apollo are, are really strong villains for being a Game Boy RPG. Um, FF Legend 3, I think, is a, a little bit more modern feeling and less messy, but maybe not as, as memorable as Legend 2. Like, yeah. like the, the plot makes more sense, and you have two humans and two mutant characters that are basically your team for the whole game. But, uh, but, but anyone can be sort of like an FF Legend 2 monster if they eat meat. It, it, it gets, it's, yeah. a, it's a little more straightforward and less insane than Legend 2. Well, the funny thing that will always be in my memory about Legend 3 was that there was a pair of characters called Dion and Faye. And then when I moved to London, I met a Dion and Faye who were a couple. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, that's so that crazy. Was, that was really bizarre. I think Dion and Faye are the, uh, the male human and the female mutant, I think? Maybe? I think so, yeah. Or maybe they're the, the two humans? I think I, they're guest characters. I don't think they're... Oh, the no, no, you're right. Dion is a guest character. I remember now. I think uh, they are a couple, though. It's been so long since I've played FF Legend 3. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it's time travel, and then you fight a big testicle, and the game is over. Yeah, mm-hmm. but only there's only <laughs> four special swords that can harm the testicle. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but anyway, let's... Get back anyway. to the, let's talk about the game that we're supposed to be talking about. Final yeah. Fantasy One. I, I uh didn't really know what the class selection stuff was. I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't really understand what was happening to me when it told me to name characters. So I, I went with the standard uh default party of uh fighter, thief, white mage, black mage, and named them Bulldog, Sun and Moon and just went at it, and when I couldn't figure something out, I just would fight enemies over and over, so I'm certain I was an overleveled 
when I uh, played that game the first time, but eventually stumbled my way through the first two major dungeons, and I think I was looking for the third dungeon, the uh, the, the water crystal or water orb dungeon. Yeah. When it, when I basically gave up and moved on with my video game playing life. Mm-hmm. So, uh, did you ever finish the NES version of Final Fantasy One? Uh, no, I did not. Um, <laughs> I did not play very far in it at all. I think. Um... I might have given up the first time around um, visiting Prokia and um, coming up against the pirate horde because I think I just wasn't leveling and I just got wiped out. It was like, well, that's that's it. I've got six other games that I've rented. I'll, um, I'll play one of those instead. Um, so it wasn't really until... Um, well, I played a little bit of Dawn of Souls, but like the first game never really held my interest. So sitting down and, and really giving the good, the good college try to the PSP version um, in preparation of this podcast... Um, I, um, you know, managed to manage to proceed and, and get some of the crystals. And, um, okay. I, I gotta say like, it's hard to hold too much against it as it is, you know, a, a, uh, symptom of it being an, a 1987 game. And, and people joke about, um, Bethesda RPGs being like delivery man simulators, but that's mm-hmm. really what this game is. It's yeah, like it, 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 each um... plot beat is a fetch quest. <laughs> Yeah, and, and uh, the game it reminded me the most of uh, when I was replaying it and having you know more RPGs under my belt is probably Dragon Quest Three, because that's another yeah, very so. open uh, open ended game that is predicated on sort of separate fetch quests that eventually convalesce together. Yeah, I want to say that's a little bit more open than this game is. It is no, no, no Dragon I mean, Quest Three. Is... I, I think is a better game and a more open game than this. Uh, yeah, but but it sort of has the lack of direction but with a few specific goals to hit kind of uh, um, situation. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's very directionless. Um, and it, it's, um, it's directionless uh, compared with my unfamiliarity as well as the changes that the PSP version made that like really set me off course um, at set one you point. Off course. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, I, um, I, I needed some... I, I thought that there was more NPC clues... It's nice that there are clues, but, uh, well, what happened to me is um, I beat, uh, I, I want to say I beat the Lich uh, in the Earth Cave, uh, and when he died, I was given a cutscene of, like, a statue of the Lich dissolving and revealing a passageway in a cave that I'd seen that statue earlier. So I was like, oh, okay, that must be the next place that I'm supposed to go. Yeah, it's a, um, it's a, a sort of like a barrier or channel that lets you leave the bay of the initial part of the game. Yeah, there's that, but there was also there was also a, a, a cave that they showed. So I went, I made a beeline to this cave. Oh, no, no, that, that, that's the Earth Gift Shrine, one of the optional areas. That's right. Yeah. Um, and I, didn't, I didn't know that, and um, I found myself <laughs> in, like, the most tedious dungeon of all time, just like fighting the easiest, crappiest battles and like working my way through. Um, and like the, the scenery got more and more surreal. And I was like, wow, this is taking quite a surprising swerve into like uh, um, kind of Escher-esque, um, Escher-esque imagery. Uh, and then like I got into a battle with a bunch of worms that just, you know, killed me in one hit. And then I was back at the beginning of the cave and I was like, right, okay, this is a Toze dungeon. Uh, I'm obviously not meant to be here. So then I, I Toze you know, uh, worked on the worked on those remakes. I guess that's right. Yeah, yeah okay. they did. Well, all, it, all all of their games that they remake, they include a dungeon where it's like you're in a forest, and then you're in a desert, and then you're in a yep. library, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what this is. Yes. Uh, in case it's unclear to listeners, um, the uh, GBA and PSP remakes have four additional dungeons that are optional and are unlocked one by one as you defeat the four fiends um, from the uh, original game as part of the story. And the Lich is the Earth Fiend, who's the first sort of big, big boss of the game. But what, what a scam, making most of that dungeon really, really easy but boring. And then no, just no, having... oh, no, no. Hold on a moment, Rob, because there's four of those dungeons, and each one is longer than the last one, and they're all sure. exactly the same. Um, they're, Beautiful. Yeah, they're all just uh, switching settings as you go through rooms. Some of them are even, uh, some of the rooms even just resemble a big old world map, where you're traveling on extremely strange, narrow peninsulas instead of hallways or corridors. Uh, and and they're, they're yeah, they're all gross. I um I wasn't really aware they were, of them being a Toze staple, even though I've I've probably played several of those since I play a lot of the remakes. And the only Inter- interesting gimmick of each of them is that uh, again there's four of them 
Um, at the end of each one, you fight bosses from Final Fantasy 3, 4, 5, and 6. The, well, that's interesting yeah, anyway. The FF3 bosses that you find at, fight at the end of the Earthgift Shrine are the four bosses that you have to beat to get to Cloud of Darkness. Okay. Like, um, oh shoot, one of them is Echidna, one of them I think is is uh, either Cerberus or Orthrus, one of those multi-head dogs. Um, yeah. But yeah, just just four and uh, so and and in F, the FF five section um, dungeon, which I think is harder than the FF six one, the last two bosses are Omega and Shinryu, which doesn't oh, which won't won't go well for you if you're under leveled. But um, I, I didn't do them this time because I remember them being tedious slogs, even though the uh, the rewards you get at the end of them are very powerful and make the rest of the game very uh, much much easier. Uh, I think I think Shinryu gives you the ultimate weapon. Um, which is stronger than I mean, any... I, I can't complain too much as it's right. optional bonus, <laughs> yeah, the, bonus it, stuff, but it's like Toze, I, I really wish they could, you know, <laughs> do a little bit of compelling dungeon design instead of just like the worst thing ever. Um, they in, their, in, in their defense, in their defense, the optional dungeon in FF2, in the FF2 portion of Dawn of Souls is kind of better. Because oh, is that like where you you like go to hell and heaven and fight the go, emperor's no, two sides? It's in hell yeah. and it's with four of the characters that died during the course of FF two. Uh, Minwu is one of them. And, oh, that's uh, cool. And, I like uh, that. And, and Ricard is one of them, and it's a part. And one of them is a is I think a character that died at the beginning or near the beginning of the game. But mm-hmm. uh, so so four dead characters from the story of FF two go through hell to um fight something at the end to, to prevent it from resurrecting and, and affecting the uh you know the, the living characters of ff2 mm. um I'm, I, I i might be getting a detail or two wrong about that but i know that minwu Min and ricard are two of the uh are, are two of the four but it's a but that is my, and i think the dungeon design is still bad in that but it is but it's at least an inter- interesting concept but anyway, I deliberately avoided those four dungeons um, in this playthrough of FF1, both because I was a little time-limited and because I remember those dungeons sucking, even though the rewards are powerful. Yeah. But um, going back to the directionless nature of the game, even just getting to the Lich... They make you go in and out. Yeah, it was more non-linear and more back and forth than I remember. Yeah, same here. It was very... I got flashbacks to like Breath of Fire 2, actually. Oh, God. Breath of Fire 2, the only, uh, until now, the only Breath of Fire game I actually finished. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. That, that was my entire Breath of Fire experience from, I don't know, 1995 to present. <laughs> I I like that game, but it's got some serious problems. I like some of the characters in it, but it has serious problems, and I never want to replay it ever again. But, okay, back to FF1. Um, The, the back and forth, even just the uh, before you fight Lich, going, uh, getting the ship... Getting the uh, um, having the dwarf bomb that one section of mountain to create a passage to the continent where the lich is. Mm-hmm. Uh, j- j- there's so much back and forth that I'm gonna get a crown. The, the, yeah, up the oh, prince. the crown! God, the, the, uh, the, 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 the biggest struggle I had when I first played it on the NES was that dark elf on the Elfland continent. Mm. Like I remember being stuck in that forest and going through the swamp, the marsh cave, and fighting that damn elf. That took me weeks. Marsh and I think, cave is and, not nice. And I think I was over leveled for when I fought both the uh, the lich and Malaris or Malarith or whatever it is now, um, mm-hmm. be, be, just because I did so much leveling, just wandering around between all that. Um, but yeah, I, all of this was more back and forth, more uh, more hiking and more fetch questing than I first remembered because it's there's a lot of it. Yeah, that really does make up the bulk of it. You know, just finding key items, using key items, going back and using a key a key key item that you got to unlock rooms with chests with more key items and um it's a real uh it's a, it's a real fool's errand. It's a real shaggy dog story. And I think it's a little better in these remakes cuz I I mean people mentioned I'm sure it is. people mentioned the dwarves and the elf king and what was going on in in multiple towns. So if you just explore as much as you can and talk to as many people as you can, there are breadcrumbs for you to find, and I think it's better in the remakes than in the original NES version. Well, they've but also I, included the dancer in um, Cornelia. Yes, the dancer uh, in Cornelia is, is more helpful than everyone else. Yeah, constantly gives you tips. And then eventually she stops giving you tips, and then another person appears in town who starts giving you tips instead. But yeah, just so much of it is hard to find like even the the circle of elders in the uh 
in, in the town in the extreme southeast of the map near the volcano. I, I overlooked them for so long. I was just running around for ages, and I ended up yeah, getting overleveled. Th- that's that's <laughs> what happened to me 20 years ago. And But this time I thankfully did somehow remember it from my memory of playing the GBA version, I think, to, to remember where to find them. And because one of them gives you the canoe that lets you access a couple other places. Yeah. So it's a very important thing that you should be able to find, but you have to, like, go through a, what, a hidden passage that's only two little mans wide <laughs> at the corner <laughs> of the town to, to find where they are. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. I think in the original NES version, they did give you the uh, story, the same story background, but maybe in a poorer translation than they give you in the uh, modern versions. I didn't remember it being particularly terribly translated. There was just less of it. There was yeah. less, a lot less detail. And I mean, well, even, and, and even they, on the PC version, it's a very, very light touch. Yeah, and I mean, translation in the NES era, they were they were limited by character amounts. They had to oh, yeah. express it in exactly the same number of characters than in, uh, as in the Japanese version, which is a puzzle that I'm glad no one, no one has to solve anymore now. <laughs> yeah, like localiz- Localization in the 90s seems like the Wild West, really. Uh, For real. But but again, like examining all of this and the fetch quests of it, there is and and there's a lot of tedium and uh, it it feels like a worse version of the similar arra- plot arrangements in Dragon Quest three and four, which mm-hmm. were after FF one in their defense, um, in, in mm. FF one's defense. But uh, there is an elegance to it, I think. Like the the um, I think so. The, the, the core of the ideas and the sort of design of the quest, I think, isn't bad. And um and it and for it did give a foundation for much better games that came later, of course, because I, I don't mm-hmm. think it's that controversial to think that FF one is not one of the best FF games, um, but it, there's like there's ideas here and some good parts of the quest design that I think make this game you know not a total slog. Like I was, the, the build to each of the four fiend elemental bosses I think was pretty good, and even though chaos is as unfair as bosses get from this era, uh, there was <laughs> there's a hell of a twist leading to him that I still don't totally understand. Should we talk a little bit about that? If you feel like it, <laughs> sure. Um, we can. We can do that. Uh, you might, uh, listeners, you might remember many eons ago, Rob and I, this exact same podcasting team, did uh, an episode on produce or produce, mm-hmm. where we com- where we said that the plot to uh, the Seventh Saga is very similar in ways to the plot of Final Fantasy One. And we some made... hot takes which you disputed. <laughs> yeah, but we made that comparison because both of them have some real weird time travel nonsense for the finales of the of uh, of each of those games. And in Final Fantasy One, please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, the very first boss of the game, Garland, is a knight of Cornelia that you, that has captured Princess Sarah, and you defeat him and deliver Princess Sarah back to Cornelia. And hmm. the very final boss of the game, Chaos, is a big purple demon, the same one Vincent turns into in FF7, presumably. And uh, he is Garland, who trans who uh, teleported himself a thousand years into the past, future. Um, into the, I think, I think the four fiends um, sent him into the past so he could eventually rise up and become their their leader. Right. So yeah, like a thousand years into the past, and that's you know created this paradox where he's. Um, immortalized as well as existing at the same time as this this big massive massive creature. So he basically the idea is um, chaos is Garland, the guy you defeated at the beginning of the game, except he's been leveling up for a thousand years just to kill mm. you again. But also, like, because the in in the finale you're sent into the past to kill. Oh, uh, oh, is that right? I, so I misspoke. No, no, I believe you do go back in time. Yeah, so you go back in time and you it's this is really confusing now. Yeah. So you kill Chaos in the past and then like the legends are that like Chaos was defeated long ago and he's back now, but like you defeated him long ago and now you're in the present and you find that he's back and you defeated Garland and he's gone back and it's like a it's a, it's a it, loop that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, I'm, but it's kind I'm of really, fun to think about. I'm really not sure now that I think about it. I, I probably should look this up. And uh, listeners, you can. Uh, oh, I'm email looking it up now, and I still okay. don't get it. You know, listeners can email me and call me a moron, and I accept that. I accept that label. 
but this is like this is Dyborn clock kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a confusing time travel plot twist that I guess makes more sense in the seventh saga, but uh, is maybe the first nonsense endgame plot twist in Final Fantasy history with many more to follow. Oh yeah, it, chaos is about as telegraphed as Necron or Cloud of Darkness or Zeromus or uh, mm. m- many of these characters that don't have a build that makes sense. If anything, X Death and Kefka are. Um, exceptions to the rule <laughs> not uh, and uh, oh, come on. Who th- and, and actually being well-developed villain characters what who thought that x-death would end up being a tree okay no okay no one believed that <laughs> um but and then but uh, weirdly they they uh you can get good info about his tree-like nature if you talk to people in loa or uh, moa or whatever more mm, or whatever deep, it is deep cut. what yeah. deep cut there yeah, mm-hmm. it's 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 so weird. It's like, and you really have to go deep to figure out the difference between X Death and Nuo and and Moore and the twelve weapons. It all sort of ties together, but it's uh, it's it's not easy to parse together. But um, just from what's in the game. But anyway, uh, like Chaos comes totally out of left field. The fact that he's Garland, the first boss of the game, but e- either a thousand years older or a thousand years stronger or whatever, whatever it ends up being is completely bonkers. I never got it. I still don't get it. Okay, I, I see. I see. Oh, I found oh, so, it. So you've d- d- been doing some background Googling and found it? Okay, so this is... <laughs> it still doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but uh, okay, so the Four Fiends send Garland into the past and he becomes Chaos through time travel, and when he becomes Chaos, he sends the Four Fiends into the future so they can send him to the past. What? But you defeating you defeating Garland at the beginning does not interfere de- with this. You defeated him at the at the beginning, and like on his deathbed, they sent him to the past to become chaos, mm. and then he sent them to the future so they could send him on his deathbed to the past. Right, <laughs> right. I'm not sure if that makes more or less sense now. Uh... I kind of like it. I gotta say, I kind of like it. <laughs> I kind of like it for being bonkers. I don't like it for <laughs> for providing any clarity because it doesn't. Yeah. But uh, sure, it's yeah. 1987, man. Zero Escape Garland. Yeah. So yeah, that's the kind of plot shenanigans I was mostly ignoring when I was when I played it this time. Well, I guess that's the main plot of um, Final Fantasy One. Right. Um, there is. You, uh, there, you, you there go is... and defeat the four fiends, and then yeah. chaos. And there's a lot of fetch questing and exploring around a sizable world map to find those four fiends. Hmm. And but um, maybe the most exciting plot point in the game, which I think you mentioned earlier, is uh, meeting Bahamut the Dragon King and transforming your uh, your four character classes. Yeah, Bahamut, who became a, a real staple and almost um, one of not as well known as as Moogles and Chocobos, but it's something of an icon and. Um, a, a symbol for the series in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, I think he's right up there with Moogles, Chocobos, and airships. Mm. And um, I guess he's and, not as cute. No, and uh, I did discover Bahamut and the Rat Tail and everything when I played uh, FF One NES many, many years ago. Even though I never found my way to the Kraken, but uh, and it was maybe the most exciting part of the game. And seeing mm. the character models change is a very fun tactile way of getting strong of getting more powerful which i think is one of the most fun parts of rpgs is seeing your characters change and get stronger yeah and, having uh, that visual feedback is important yeah exactly and i, and I love I, I mean me i mean me being like a fan of sentai and rider i love watching things transform so uh th- it was a very it was very thrilling for that to experience that when i first played the game and you know it's still pretty cool and satisfying now they get beefy yeah, this is as good or maybe better than Cecil becoming a paladin in FF4 because it happens to your entire party, and they get noticeably more powerful. And they again, got a whole got... skill set in a lot of ish, in a lot of uh, instances. Um, all of them do, except for except for the black belt and master, and uh, and 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 even more exciting if you want to get if you want to get into some math nerd territory, the damage formula between gets better when you transform from a black belt to a master. And this was something I I remember reading about when I was playing either the GBA or PSP version years and years ago. But uh, in FF1 original, 
the damage for the damage formula for black belt and master was attached to character level and um this the strength of the armor and weapons you were equipping when unarmed was basically some formula of the character's level hmm, but they changed okay. they changed it in the GBA and PSP versions instead of being attached to level and the leveling curve was gentler in those game in uh, in the new newer games they attached hmm. it to your stamina stat so it's okay. like so some I don't remember the exact number but it's like a the uh, your your armor if you're unequipped if you don't have armor equipped then your armor value is your stamina stat times 1.5 but then that changes to times two when you go from black belt to master something like that but, oh, and um, nice. and yeah. the way it shakes out is um, for the first 20 or 30 levels a GBA or PSP black belt is way better than an S than an NES one but once you get to levels 30 40 50 plus um, the old NES formula is stronger. So a level 99 master will be way better than a on the NES than on the GBA or PSP. Hmm. Basically, there's a sort of elegant, mostly sense-making formula for how strong black belts and masters are. And by the end, if you get very, very high in levels, they'll always be strongest if you don't have them equipped with anything. But for the mo- hmm. for the most part, it's a good idea to have them unarmed with weapons, but with decent bracelets and helmets. Um, mm. That you get throughout the game, because that'll usually be better than them naked until you get to high levels. I think they continued this trend in. Um, I'm not. I can't remember if they do it in three, but they did it in five as well. You get a big boost to uh, having uh, having barehanded uh, barehanded oh, yeah. monks. Oh yeah, barehanded monks are really strong in FF5. They, they're yeah. um, they're the, one of the first classes you get, and they remain strong the entire game. Um, I remember one thing I like to do in FF5 is give the barehanded. Uh, passive to white mages or black mages because when you're mm-hmm. just leveling them up and you but you don't want to use much mp having them unarmed but being able to attack as strong as a monk is awesome <laughs> they're doing like that kenshiro 12 hit combo yeah a little bit well well, well no not a 12 hit combo it's a it, it's i think it's just a two hit combo mostly uh mm-hmm. if I, I i need to go back to ff5 and play that i i, I i've played ff5 at least five or six times but it has been a while since mm. since my since my last uh, Forge Fiesta, but yeah, I started it again recently. But um... FF5 is good, man. I think I think that one is. I, I have a lot of weird nostalgia for it because I played it on on the uh, anthology PS1 version and a mm. uh, a a pirated Super Nintendo version mm. before eventually you know playing the best FF uh, GBA version. And so I I confuse the different town names and skill names all the time in FF5, but. Mm. I've played that thing so many times. It's a lot of fun. 2018. Please. <laughs> Please give us a remake that isn't that doesn't have the weird washed out sprites on the uh on the phone version. Yeah, that's that's super ugly. It's weird playing a version of FF1 that looks better than the modern versions of FF5 and 6. Yeah, um they they did a really nice job on um, on Dawn of Souls, but especially the um, the PSP versions. Yeah. Which, the PSP versions um, of Final Fantasy one, two, and four look so good that I want all of the NES and Super NES um, Final Fantasies with that kind of uh, of uh, makeover. But I don't know. If oh, we'll it would have been those. so nice. FF five um, and six in the style of four PSP. It, that is the dream, but I don't think we're ever getting it. Yeah, it's kind of unlikely at this stage, and I mean, some of the people who were involved in in the um, in the four collector's edition were saying, like, well, you know, the people who were in charge of five and six um, aren't interested in doing this. I don't feel comfortable doing it without them, so we're just not doing it. That's respectful, but also frustrating. Yeah. So that's why um, Final Fantasy IV keeps getting pimped out over and over. But, like, you know, they say, hey, we're not going to do this. And then they put out these, like, shockingly ugly ports to Steam <laughs> and, and mobile. I would think we, that would be more Those are way more disrespectful than... than a, definitely. Than, Come than, on. And, uh, and um, I think we mentioned this... Before, I don't think we've mentioned this during this recording, but before the recording, we were talking a little bit about Romancing Saga 2 coming over for the Vita. Like, Might be out by the time you hear this, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully, um, because we're, we're recording this about a, a week or two in advance of when it's being posted. But I mean, who five and six done like four complete? Who would kick that out of bed? Seriously, on mm. put put that on Vita or Switch or what have you? Have you seen much of the footage of the Romancing Saga two remake? Only a little from news articles, but pretty. Um, it it, it looks good, and it, it I would still play it if it looked looked a little worse because that's a that is a game that I've missed out on over the years, and I'm very happy for the opportunity to play it soon yeah 
So anyway, yeah, back to FF1, which looks unusually good on the on the PSP, mm. and makes me lament that there aren't FF remakes that look as good. That I mean, seeing your characters transform is extremely satisfying. Uh, it, whenever I get something like that, like uh, one of my favorite, I know I've talked to you about this. One of my favorite um, Super Famicom games is Psycho Nintendo 3, and yeah. even just seeing the uh, the characters. Uh, get a color change, like a uh, like, like a palette swap color change when they change classes, is satisfying and cool. So even mm-hmm. little details like that, um, I I love. And seeing that in a 1987 NES game is awesome. Definitely so. Yeah, it feels going, like quite quite a cinematic moment for and, such an early game. And going from a thief to a ninja and having a second guy that can cast um, uh, haste and forge. And all of those, uh, all of those um, boosting skills is very, very useful. Yeah, he's he's a real he's a real battle king, the ninja. I I, I think I mentioned with my original my the first time I played this game years ago, I did fighter, thief, white mage, black mage. This time I tried to be a little bit more physically offensive, and I went um, fighter, thief, monk, white mage. Oh really? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I guess once he class changes, that will cover cover your. Um... Yeah, most important black magic skills. Exactly, and um, you you miss out on a little bit of the uh, of the all targeting attacks. But I, I felt mm-hmm. like I because I wouldn't I didn't want to I I knew I would be playing this game while watching television, and uh, and other things. So I figured just a, a party that mostly auto attacked would be fine. And mm-hmm. and uh, and also I I don't think I'd ever beaten the game with a uh, without black magic before i always had a black mage or red mage when i played this game other times so i decided to take a bit of a different tack with it what team did you choose for this run uh well i was boring and i went with the because i've got such little experience with this game i, I did the fighter thief white mage black mage okay. i thought about thought about subbing in a red mage but thought like mm, well let's let's just see how this balance works red out mages are good in this game because if you just i yeah. mean they it won't have they won't be able to carry your team's defenses like a white mage or really pound enemies like a black mage but it basically gives you a second attacker that can cast rudimentary healing and boosting spells and those boosting spells for um upping the damage of your fighters are really effective mm-hmm. so i i think I've... red red mages are good yeah they definitely are they're actually one of my favorite classes um but i i found that my uh, my thief was really outpacing my fighter and was really sort of was the most valuable player. Um, I think that I, I think they made thieves stuff. better from NES to the remakes because oh yeah, uh, eventually that strength stat really out outpaces that um, that agility or speed stat. But they, I, I think they made the the multi hits of agility more effective in the um, in later versions, to, which which help out the thief and the monk quite a bit or black belt quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's for the better. I think so. So yeah, I was having a lot of fun having my thief dominate until well, until I lost my save. Um, but um, I could um, I, I could see it. Um, I could see playing through with different configurations being very fun. And it's nice that they give you. Um, it's nice that they give you the option. Like a lot of a lot of games at that time period didn't give you that many choices on how to build your party. Yeah, I mean it, it's FF one, and then you have like the the multiple class systems of your Dragon Quest 3s and Final Fantasy 3s that uh where you know um party building and class selection are major parts of all of those games and also I mean FF1's classes gave us the foundation of Final Fantasy classes for many many games going forward that's right i think uh oh shoot i have to do some mental math i guess um and hey, you know that that black mage, the black mage and the white mage, and those two designs are just iconic. Oh, they are. And, and, and I want to say seven of the twelve uh, classes are represented in FF14 now. Yeah, I think they are. Because it's white mage, black mage, red mage are all in it, plus mm-hmm. ninja and monk, and yep. um, warrior and knight, which are uh, or fighter and knight, which are warrior and paladin in English, are are mm-hmm. both are separate classes in FF12. So, I'm sorry, in FF14. So, yeah, seven of the 12 made their way into FF14. And what do you know, my, my, main, <laughs> two, of my, my two main classes that I play in FF14 are both in Final Fantasy 1. So, yeah, it's... It, the, who do you play? Those, uh, what? Big pardon? Who, who do you play? Um, when I tank, I use a warrior. And when oh. I play DPS, I use a monk. 
Okay. And I very, very rarely heal. I, if I if I want fast cues, I tank instead of heal. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, like again, because parties are half DPS, one quarter tank, one quarter healer. But something like eighty percent of players are DPS, so DPS cues are much longer than tanking or healing cues. Right. Which is which is you know. FF one hundred and one to longtime players of fourteen, but won't make much sense at all if you if you don't play FF fourteen, which is good. FF fourteen is so good, and I've had so much fun playing it off and on that it's probably in my top five Final Fantasy games right now. Cool. Um, uh, th- that is, know. it's it's the only MMO that's ever compelled me. But but anyway, back to FF one. Like uh, Bahamut and the airships and these classes become endemic to Final Fantasy going forward, and I think they're strong, appealing, cool designs for the most part, too. Yeah, yeah, they are. They're very um, simplistic, but they stand out, and they they are very... They're they're trademarks. Um, Yeah, and and I would say the same thing about the classes in Dragon Quest III, which are similarly mm -hmm. represented in, in much later Dragon Quest games. Yeah. And... Just seeing that tradition carry through uh, makes it rewarding. Like when I when I class changed to from a uh, from a marauder to a warrior in Final Fantasy fourteen, and I got mm-hmm. the the warrior armor. It's mm. a stocky red um, set that looks like the FF one fighter. Oh, cool! Well, like I it, really I really like that. Yeah, and, and um and 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 later warrior sets still have a, a similar silhouette and and the colors will change and everything. But like the sort of the warrior starting level fifty gear you get when you complete the warrior quests are uh, and um look like the FF one fighter and like nods like that are so cool and satisfying. And 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 having played FF one and seeing its designs recur in FF fourteen, I think makes me appreciate both FF one and FF fourteen more. It's 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 nice that they're uh, still referencing that because I I think you know that that old sprite of the the red hair and the matching red outfit <laughs> uh, with the very simplistic face I always like that uh, a great deal. Yeah, I don't think it's maybe as iconic as Black Mage or White Mage, which are oh, more, definitely not, which but... are more recurring than the old Warrior sprite. But it's it's a very very cool nod, and and those those original designs are very classic, and mm-hmm. basically what. I, at least what I, at least from my perception, what put Square on the map? Because as a kid, I was definitely aware of Final Fantasy, but not aware of, say, King's Knight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> no, no, we should probably address this now. Uh, that, yeah, that, let's talk about that uh, famous story, huh? Okay, yeah, the, the story that I saw circulated around the internet many times as a uh, kid and a preteen and a teenager on Final Fantasy forums, like. Oh, like your eyes on FFs and your game faxes and your caves of Narsh.coms. Well, the, the story I, I always heard for several years was that Square was going through hard times or perhaps even desperate times, and Hironobu Sakaguchi threw um, his best creative ideas into one game that was going to be his last chance, and that's why the name, where the name Final Fantasy comes from, because it was a fantasy game, and it was his final chance at, at being a success before he would quit or perhaps he got fired. Was like some version of that was the story I always heard. Did, was mm-hmm. it similar for you? Yes, that is what I and what I'm sure many many of our listeners um, heard. Right. Um, if they were online 15 years ago or more or or less. Right, it's it's been making the rounds for a long time. Yeah, but fifteen years ago was probably around when I when I heard it because that, that's when I would yeah, have been a, so. that's when I would have been a teenager on those on those forums that I mentioned. But I don't know exactly when it was officially debunked. But I remember a couple of years ago there was a Silicon Era story of a translated interview with Hironobu Sakaguchi, and mm-hmm. they asked them specifically that question of that story, and he said, "No, that's wrong." They yeah. uh, they wanted they had this idea. For an RPG that was sim- that was similar to Wizardry, it was a. They may have been influenced by Dragon Quest, but it was a. Um, it was definitely more of a, uh, of a traditional D and D style RPG that that informed it. Um, and they mm-hmm. liked the acronym. all these Japanese developers were just playing loads of Wizardry and D and D, right? So. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's that's probably true to a yeah. degree. But well, from um, what I understand it, like the Wonder Boy guys, that's why Wonder Boy went from being a caveman to swinging a sword because after the success of their first mm-hmm. game they just like stayed in the office playing the japanese localization of wizardry all day yeah it makes <laughs> so sense so then they make the future games medieval 
So, but the um, the name Final Fantasy didn't become from it didn't come from a Last Chance uh, story. It because it was because they liked the acronym FF because FU FU. I I don't I'm not even gonna pretend that I understand Japanese you know like phonics appeal. But they they, they liked how that acronym sounded in Japanese, and uh, mm-hmm. and for a while the game was going to be, even be called Fighting Fantasy. But there but was of course there was uh, Steve Jackson and Ian Livingston's um, series. Yeah. There was existing not, trademarks. Not, not the American Steve Jackson, the British Steve Jackson. It's funny that there were two, two Steve Jacksons working in role-playing games. Yeah, but, and in um, fact, I, I have played, I think, the American Steve Jackson's uh, games recently, because he also does, uh, that company also makes Munchkin, which is a entertaining, right, yeah. entertaining if slightly mindless, uh, um, card game. Yeah, yeah, so he did Munchkin and um, famously GURPS. Yeah, yeah and, GURPS, um, GURPS is his RPG system. And, they um, got, and, uh, and they got raided... Yeah, Munchkin. Uh, the, they, they have a, a handful of other games too, I think. Mm-hmm. That's but, right. Uh, so anyway, the, the multiple Steve Jacksons. One of them had a one of them had a trademark for final, fighting fantasy, and they didn't want to get into a Dragon Quest, Dragon Warrior, or even um, Masters of the Universe like a uh, He uh, He Man situation. Well, um, okay, He Man Eternia situation is what I should have said, even though that happened fifteen years later. Um, <laughs> They, oh, is that why that game was called Tales of Destiny 2? Yeah, Eternia was trademarked by Mattel because that's the world oh, of the He-Man oh, universe. I did not know. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why Tales of Eternia had a, uh, did have a port in the UK that didn't come to the US. The, that's the, right. I, I believe the PSP version of Eternia. That's right. It's yeah. a really, really good port, too. It runs really, really well. <laughs> well good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I, uh, so anyway... <laughs> And uh, when I visited the UK in uh, in 2011 or 2012, when my sister was studying abroad, I bought that uh, a PSP copy of it and played it on my PSP. Oh, nice! Because the PSP is uh, is wonderfully region free, and I was able. And I, I did that, and I got a I got a Mega Drive collection at the at a British. Um, it wasn't game. It was a uh, a British electronics store that felt like the UK Best Buy, but I forget. I forget what it was called. Is that Curry's or PC World? I think it might have been a Curry's. Uh huh. But um, so yeah, so I got a I got a PSP Tales of Eternia from a Curry's five or six years ago. Fun, uh, cool story, bro. Um, cool. but back to FF one, they decided to not use the name Fighting Fantasy because there was an existing trademark and went with Final Fantasy instead, so they could keep that sweet FF acronym, mm-hmm. and probably went through a Japanese English dictionary and an English thesaurus. Oh, I'm sure they did. <laughs> the, my my favorite dumb localization story is that you know how the name Donkey Kong was created. No, I don't actually. Um, basically, uh, it, it's, it's it may be more complicated than this, but uh, Miyamoto went through the Japanese English dictionary, English thesaurus step, and uh, for looking for a combination of a translation of stubborn ape that sounded the good. Okay, and he so went, he had like jackass or. Maybe, but, no, but like he wanted to translate "stubborn ape" into something. Stubborn that, as a mule. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, uh, and and eventually, uh, the, co- the combination of words that he liked the best was "Donkey Kong," <laughs> which I I find I find very amusing. And That's and hey, Don- Donkey Kong is a great sounding uh, title too. So hey, I think it was yeah. I think he was successful. So anyway, um, that's the that was the correction that Hironobu Sakaguchi made. Uh, in an interview from a few years ago that I first saw in Silicon Era, but I'm not sure exactly where it was published. Uh, might, yeah, I think that's where the translation was first published. It okay, was so a, it, was, uh, it, was, it was probably with... A Famitsu interview originally. Yeah, like Famitsu or Dengeki or something. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but that story of that being their last chance and the, and making... That's where the word final comes from. That is an apocryphal story that... Not so uh, dramatic. No, that I, um, I, that I once believed wholeheartedly, and pr- I believe I first saw it on an ancient game form of some kind many years ago, but it's mm-hmm. not a real story, sadly. So, man, we've <laughs> jumped around we've Final Fantasy 1 and various other topics you know, in this podcast. Kind of like Final Fantasy 1 sends you all over the map. Um, yeah, you've you got, you got to explore every inch of that thing if you, want, if you want the airship and the class change and all of that jazz. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you, Mike. In the end... Um, this is probably one of my least favorite Final Fantasy games because it is such a light <laughs> touch. However, um, I think that there is pleasure to be found in it. Yeah, it's it's for sure in my bottom half of preferred Final Fantasies. I don't want to rank 20 of them just to find out what integer it no, gets. Not, 
Yeah, no, no thanks. Who would do that? A crazy person. Yeah, what, okay. <laughs> you say that, but I love making lists of things, and you know that. Yeah, but, I know. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, I don't think it holds up as an excellent game in 2017, but it's a fun enough distraction. You can see why this would be good in 1987. Um, it has foundational pieces that you still see in modern Final Fantasy games mm-hmm. that that basically make me think of Final Fantasy 1 as having good design elements in it. Like, oh, these things are good, and you still see them yeah. in modern games, and that's great. But it's not a game that you need to go out of your way to play in the year 2017, I think. I think, like, if you're going to play it, I would suggest playing it for like from, like, an anthropology standpoint and, like, listening to a podcast while doing so. Right. And that would be... <laughs> Uh, that will be a fine experience, but like if you're looking to plumb the depths of um, old Final Fantasy to, um, you know, like really get to grips and get into it, I think you should probably just start with four. To be honest, I, I would I would recommend any of the Super Nintendo games over this one in mm-hmm. half a second. Like, oh yeah, like, like like four if you want to see the second the the classic classes, you know, in an epic story. Five if you want to play around with the a version of the job system. And six, if you want to see the big, diverse cast of characters move from more of a fantasy setting to more of a steampunk tech st- setting, mm. those I, I think those are the strengths of those three games, and all uh-huh. of them all of them do it better than Final Fantasy One. Yeah, but, absolutely. But I'm glad this game existed because that gave us a really diverse, cool series that is maybe that is one of the JRPG standards. Like it's. I'd be hard pressed to find a Jap- a fan of Japanese RPGs that hasn't that doesn't have a favorite Final Fantasy game, right? Yeah, like, of course. It, yeah, it it's it stands to reason, and like you know, I know that some people like the series more than others, but I mean, there's at least one Final Fantasy game in every JRPG fan's life that is um, spoken to them that they have fond memories of. Absolutely, I a hundred percent agree. This is an incredibly influential and important title, even if it's not like the most pleasurable thing to play today. Yeah, and and I don't even think it's one of the necessarily one of the best NES RPGs. Like uh, maybe I mentioned this before, but it's, I it's would... no Legend of the Ghost Lion. <laughs> well, okay, um, I, I, have, I, I have zero idea what that game is, but it sounds dope. I mean, it's got a ghost lion in it. Um, but I, I would rank Dragon Quest three and four ahead of the three Final Fantasy games on the NES. But uh, yeah, I but, think those but, games are fantastic. Mm, I mean, just. I, Dragon Quest Three f- seems so ahead of its time in how in its sort of unified design. It still blows my mind a little bit. But Final Fantasy One, its influence cannot be denied, and mm-hmm. we and I think you and I, as old school RPG fans, appreciate its influence and what it is as a game. Absolutely, well done, Final Fantasy One. <laughs> Final Fantasy One, you're all right in my book, but I don't think I want to play you again. Yeah, I think we've done it. So. That has been Final Fantasy 1, and we have been Retro Encounter. Uh, next week, we begin our run of Breath of Fire 4 episodes, which I think I mentioned earlier in this podcast. Alana and I have been playing it through the month of November and early December, and we are going to talk about it starting next week. We, um, I think she and I are going to record that episode in the next couple days. Is it just uh, you guys? I think it's just the two of us. We, we put out the call among staff, but we were the only two interested in playing it. I would love to play it. I just can't find my copy at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's always time or access is why people mm-hmm. uh, uh, can't or can sign up for Retro Encounter episodes. But I'm always glad if I'm able to get something together in time to keep this as a weekly podcast. But, it is um, such a cool game. I hope you guys enjoy it. I have never played it before um, but until a few weeks ago when I started it up. I uh, I mentioned earlier I've played Breath of Fire 2 to completion. I played the beginnings of Breath of Fire 1 and 3, but neither of them grabbed me. But um, I have not finished Breath of Fire 4 yet, which is fine because we're having two episodes on it, and I and I, uh, I don't need to I don't need to be done with it yet. But I think it's pro I think it's probably the best of the four. It goes to some surprising places. It um, is a I think fa- it is probably the best of the four. Yeah. Uh, sm- spoiler alert: I like it and think it's the best Breath of Fire game that I've played. But um, I'll go into that in much more detail next week and the following week when we do two Breath of Fire episodes in a row. And following that, I think we're going to have a year-end episode where we talk about the year of RPGs and the year of Retro Encounter with whoever has the time and energy to be on the podcast with me. Even if it's just me yelling into a can, I'll, there will be a year-end <laughs> year episode at the end of December. 
Um, if you want to get in contact with us, the best way to do so is to email retro at rpgfan.com or comment on the rpgfan.com Facebook page or the rpgfan.com forums. We read everything that is directed to us, so please, if you have thoughts, send them our way. Um, if you want, uh, if you want to, you can please review us on iTunes or Google Play or other podcast venues to um, increase our exposure and so we can get more listeners. We want all of the feedback that you have for us. And uh, but beyond, uh, I should mention beyond. I don't think we really have many plans in place beyond the uh, year-end episodes. I'm not prepared to talk about what our topics in January and 2018 are yet. It'll be a Christmas surprise. Yep, it'll be a Happy New Year indeed with the uh, future Retro Encounter episodes. But um, I'm not prepared to talk about that yet, I think. So, uh, Rob, if um, a listener wants to get in touch with you, how would they do so? Uh, well, I'm on the boards as Towns Car Marty. I haven't really been that active on the boards for a while. You know, um, if, if, if you see me on there, you'll see me on there. Uh, that, that's Mike, true of me, say? too. Because um, um, the past year and a half or so, I've really thrown uh, my effort into Retro Encounter. And I'm mm-hmm. on, and I interact with RPG fan staff all the time, daily even. But I, I, I I've moved away from the fa- from Facebook and the boards, and mostly I spend my RPG fan time either working on the podcast or on in Slack or Trello. Mm-hmm. I like yeah, basically, I mean, basically Slack, yeah, Slack and Trello have, have uh, and like and just like texting people have yeah. replaced my interactions on the forums, which is. A little sad because I used to really like gaming forums were a big, big part of my internet activity once upon a time, and now I'm hardly on them anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think that's how it is for a lot of people. I mean, we're 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 busy boys. Mm. The best way, if if you want to interact with me, you can find me on Twitter at misanthropob. That's probably the best way to hit me up. So just send me a message there, or um, you can even follow me if you feel so inclined. But Mike, and, what about you? And well, before I do, I uh, tell you tell people my social media information. Um, I'd be remiss if I did not bring up that Rob, you're the host of a very entertaining gaming podcast called Misanthro Play. Oh shucks! With your friend well, Alva. And, well, uh, now now that you mention it, <laughs> and uh, you and Alva have a very fine podcast that I enjoy listening to very much. And if you follow Rob on Twitter or social media, you I also recommend their podcast, Misanthro Play. Thank you, you very much. You had um, RPG fan staff member Derek Heemsbergen on a recent episode, right? I did. Uh, Derek's, uh, Derek Heemsbergen, um, one of the co-hosts of Random Encounter and review at RPG Fan, mm-hmm. uh, came on our most recent episode to school me in the ways of Final Fantasy XIV. Oh, uh, excellent. I, I have I not think. listened to that episode yet, but I did see it pop up, I think, I think probably on Twitter. At the time of us recording, it's only really just gone live, oh, so okay. I don't blame yeah. you. Um, I think I must have saw it, seen it earlier today then. So yeah, you know, I didn't want to take Thunder away from RPG fan, uh, Final Fantasy feature that's going on at the moment. Oh, I, oh come I, on, please. I, I've I recently don't... Been, been goofing with Final Fantasy fourteen, and I thought, who better than Derek, um, host of his own fantastic podcast, there, Astral Era. There really isn't come, anyone better to, to bother about. Tell me all about how to yeah. look good. He yeah. he is a FF14 enthusiast and very knowledgeable about about it. He's a he's the perfect guest for that topic. Mm-hmm. So and yeah. also, uh, I guess it's my turn now for social media. It, um, I am sure monsoon is. on the forums, but I guess I mentioned a short time ago that I I barely visit them anymore. If you want to find me, the easiest way to do so is probably on Twitter. I am at the real monsoon on Twitter, and I have a backup Twitter at Evoker for Dogs for when I want to pop off ta- talking about um, Japanese superheroes mostly. Um, <laughs> And also, I, I just we should probably bring it up one more time. We do have a, an ongoing Final Fantasy feature on RPG Fan. I think I think the update days are Tuesdays and Fridays. We are um, they add new. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, they, they add new pieces to the ongoing feature. So uh, I, I um, from late November through early January, we're gonna uh, add pieces to the feature every Tuesday and Friday. One of those pieces is the Memoria page that has individual personal stories about our Final Fantasy experiences. I had many pieces on the Final Fantasy, I want to say 1, 5, 6, and Tactics, which are three of my favorites, plus FF1. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and basically dozens of stories from various RPG fan staff members talking about their favorite Final Fantasy games. Which ones did you do besides FF2? Uh, well, I did... What did I do now? Because I think I just kind of signed up for them at random. I did. I must have done four, five, six, eight, and something else that I'll leave as a surprise. Ooh, cool. 
So yeah, um, there's dozens of those in the Memoria feature alone, plus a lot of individual features uh, that are were really excited, exciting, and fun to put together. A lot, a lot of people worked on this feature, and um, it's close to two months worth of Final Fantasy writing for, on RPG Fan. It's super cool, so do check it out. And if it's, if I don't know when people are listening to the, put this podcast, it could be well into 2018 when people are listening to this. So. If the feature is long gone, you should be able to find it by going to RPGFan.com into the Features section and look for Final Fantasy 30th Anniversary Feature, and that big personal story section is called Memoria, which was also the title of last week's podcast. So, I think that about covers it, Rob. That's a lot of housekeeping this week. Yeah, uh, a lot of housekeeping, but it's worth it. It's It's been it's been a fantastic... Uh... It's it's a fantastic period happening at RPG Fan at the moment. We hope you enjoy it. Exciting times at RPG Fan, and I we hope that uh, readers and and listeners enjoy enjoy it as much as we, the writers and creators, had making it. I hope that was a coherent sentence. I think so. Okay, good. Everybody, good night and good luck. See you later.